Well, congratulations, everybody. You saved time. <laughs> Daylight savings time is uh, upon us, and this day always reminds me of Vernon Logan. I don't know why I have a distinct memory of him. I guess he didn't set his clock forward, and he comes walking in right at the end of my sermon, all dapper in his three-piece suit, and stops and looks around, just smiles and shrugs and sits down. <laughs> I always think of Vernon fondly when I think of daylight savings times. This morning we're going to talk about um, the nature of truth. And I want to say that, that truth is not variable unlike time apparently. And so um, we're going to talk about the nature of truth. In, in John chapter 18 in verse 37, Jesus is standing before Pilate and he, uh, Pilate says, therefore unto him art thou a king. Then Answered Jesus, Thou sayest that I am a king, to this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness everyone, or bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And so Jesus says, I come to bear witness of the truth, and everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And Pilate answered and said, uh, What is truth? And so was he asking, because he doesn't know what truth is, or was he just uh, making a rhetorical statement that, well, truth is whatever we say it is? And I'll leave that for you to decide what he meant by that. He said, though, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and said unto them, I find no fault in him at all. And so what is truth is really the question before us. What is the nature of truth? Now there are, uh, I'm going to give you a, some results of a survey that was published 20 years ago uh, by Barna Research Group, published in 2002. And uh, one of the surveys that they did was absolute truth versus situational truth. And they divided uh, their survey into two groups of people. They had those that were teenagers and those that were adults. And so this is 20 years ago, and so, you know, these teenagers were in their, now in their mid-30s, mid to late 30s, and so you think about the, the millennial generation, and I'm not picking on y'all specifically, because you'll see there's problems with other generations as well, but uh, it's the largest generation that there has ever been on this, in this country, larger than the baby boom generation. And so when you look at uh, the number of folks that are out there in the, in the world that hold to some of these views. And so they were adults here at the time, were surveyed on the nature of truth. And notice, uh, 64% said truth is always relative to the person and their situation. And so already that generation, my generation and, and previous generations, you had all those that were adults up, uh, already more, almost two-thirds believed that truth was situational. Uh, 22% said there are moral absolutes that are unchanging. And then 14% said, well, I've never really given it any thought. But when we look at uh, those that were teens at the time of the survey, notice the difference. Now 83% said truth is always relative to the person and their situation. Only 6% said there are moral absolutes that are unchanging. Notice uh, that compared to the 22%, now only 6. And so there's a big difference. And then 11% uh, 
uh, still haven't really thought about it. And so uh, you, you can very clearly see uh, what people view truth. Now, there was another survey or at the same time conducted about moral decision-making. The same two demographics were used. And notice, uh, with the adults that were surveyed on moral decision-making, they were asked on, on what, how they made decisions. And 31% said, what feels right? And so whatever I think is best is what I do. 15% said, well, what parents taught them. 13% uh, looked to biblical principles. 10% uh, looked for whatever was best for me, the best personal outcome. And 31% had some other method. Now, when you look at those who were teens at the time, 38% says, well, whatever feels right. And so that percentage went up a little bit. 16%, whatever is the best personal outcome. 10%, whatever makes the most people happy. Now, I don't know if they asked more questions of teens or teens answered more diversely than the adults at the time. But here, notice, uh, at least Air is looking towards the, something that is beyond themselves, looking for uh, the betterment of other people. Uh, 10% said they base their decisions on what other people expect. 10% on values taught by their parents. 9% some other method. And then finally, the smallest percentage based upon the Bible principles. And so again, uh, 13%, which is pretty bad, uh, which is pathetic, and 7%, which is horrible. And so what does this tell us? What does this tell us? The, these figures uh, were cited by George Barna in, uh, from a survey conducted in 2001. Uh, a major reason, they conducted the research as a major reason underlying the data he released in a controversial recent presentation about moral views and behaviors of Christians. In that forum, Barna noticed, noted that substantial numbers of Christians believe that activities such as abortion, uh, homosexuality, uh, sexual fantasies, cohabitation before marriage, drunkenness, and viewing pornography are morally acceptable. And so this is those that claim to be Christians. And, and so... Uh, he goes on to say, without some firm and compelling basis for suggesting that such acts are inappropriate, people are left with philosophies such as, if it feels good, do it. Everyone else is doing it, or as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else, it's permissible. In fact, the alarmingly fast decline of moral foundation among our young people has culminated in a one-word view, one worldview of whatever. The result is a mentality that esteems pluralism, relativism, tolerance, and diversity without critical reflection of the implications of particular views and actions. And so now remember, his results were published 20 years ago. These were the prevailing views of most Americans who are now in their late 30s. Again, the largest generation in U.S. history. Uh, and oh, haven't we seen uh, this prevailing view come home to roost now? It seems to be the prevailing view in the country. If they were to do that survey of all people in America today, I think uh, you would see similar numbers to what we saw uh, in this second survey or the, when the teens were surveyed. 
And so again, we're not picking on teens and we're not picking on millennials because who did not teach and who did not instill the values uh, of godly principle in that generation? Well, the generation that preceded it and so forth and so forth. And so uh, we fell and we're only one generation away from apostasy. And so uh, how is truth viewed today and, and most of what is reflected in that second set of survey, that second set of numbers, is reflects the postmodern view of truth. You know, there was a time in American culture when truth was not the slippery concept it now appears to be to many. In his book, Adrift, Postmodernism in the Church, Brother Phil Sanders cites a source that suggests that 70% of Americans now believe there is no such thing as absolute truth. Such is the tragic legacy of the, the philosophical montage of confusion known as postmodernism. And so what is postmodernism? It is essentially a mid to late 20th century theory of knowledge which states that there is no real knowledge. At least not in the objective external world that can be perceived by human senses. As Friedrich Nietzsche, one of the founders of most modernism, put it, there are no facts, only interpretations. And so the idea that, that there is no such thing as objective truth, that truth is subjective based upon a lot of different things. Uh, Postmodernism claims that truth is, is a subjective social construct, that all claims the truth. All claims to meaning or value are social constructs, constructs and therefore subjective. Next, uh, they, they claim that there is no uniform or universal reality. What is true here may not be true over here. And so uh, in one place something is true, in another place it may not be true. And then they conclude there is no truth, only rhetoric. You think about, uh, you know, which news source claims to be the truth. They're all biased. There's all nothing but rhetoric out there in the uh, uh, public sphere, it seems to be. Just rhetoric. And that's the idea of postmodern view of truth. It's variable. It's not the same for everybody. And so postmodernism, as opposed to the biblical view, the Bible states objectively that there is truth, that God is truth. We think about the, the biblical words for truth. Uh, the word uh, translated true is alethus, which means according to Vine's uh, Bible dictionary, an unconcealed, manifest, actual, true to fact. Something that is verifiable. Like this remote in my hand is black. You can see it is black. That's truth. It's true that this is a black remote. Uh, the word translated truth uh, used in two senses. First of all, objectively, signifying the reality lying at the basis of an appearance, the manifested, veritable essence of a matter. That something is truth. Uh, and then it can be used objectively, not to say that truth itself is objective, objective or subjective, but it can be used subjectively, uh, talking about truthfulness, truth, not merely verbal, but sincerity and integrity of character, such as God is truth. 
God's word is truth in its character. It is truth. And so uh, there's a, a number of statements certainly in the Bible regarding truth. First of all, that in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4, that God is true, a God of truth. He is the rock. His work is perfect for all His ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is He. And so God is a God of truth. Jesus is the truth, John 14 and verse 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto me or unto the Father but by me. Uh, he is full of truth, John 1, 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only Father, or only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then John 8, verse 45 he spoke the truth, because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. And so God is a God of truth. Uh, Jesus is the truth, is full of the truth, and spoke the truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, and guided the apostles into all truth. John 16 and verse 13. Uh, Jesus promised to his disciples, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. The word of God, which comes by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is truth. John 17 and verse 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And the judgments of God are according to truth. Romans 2 and verse 2. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And so that's the biblical view of truth, that God is truth. His word is truth. That Christ is truth. Deity is truth. And then we uh, want to look at the nature of truth. You know, you think about the nature of truth. Truth and, and what can be known. Truth and knowledge. You know, is there still truth? Is it absolute? And can it still be known when it comes to religion? And Jesus made it very clear, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. By saying this, Jesus affirms that truth exists, that truth is absolute, and truth can be known. Again, John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. This means that the Bible is truth. It is absolute, and that absolute Bible truth can be known. Ye shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. Uh, truth and, and God. You know, all truth in religion comes from God and must be studied and known. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15 says, Study or give diligence to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing or handling aright the word of truth. To know the truth of God, we've got to know His word. His word is truth. And to, and to know it, we've got to put effort into studying and to learning it. Also, God's truth must also uh, must be obeyed. Galatians 3.1 He said, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? 
before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath evidently uh, been evidently set forth, crucified among you. You know, they were to obey the truth. They were no longer obeying the truth. And so, truth and God, truth must be obeyed as the Word of God. Truth and man. You know, Jesus said that God has given true commandments when it comes to religion. If we reject those commandments and substitute our or man's ideas into religion, then we have, in effect, rejected the truth. Over Mark chapter 7, verses 7 through 9, Jesus uh, says unto the Jews there, How be it, in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. And so they were setting aside God's truth and accepting their own version of truth. And Jesus said that made their worship and their religion vain. Truth and salvation. You know, no man will save himself by following his own path. You know, Jeremiah made that very clear. In Jeremiah 10, verse 23, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. You know, Jeremiah was given the commandment of the Lord uh, to tell the Jews that they were to submit to the Babylonian captivity. They were not to resist it. And yet they thought they could save themselves by doing what they wanted. It's not in man to direct his steps. And so uh, the word of truth, the word of God uh, provides that direction for us. In John 14, 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And notice, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. The only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ. You know, he said that he came into this world to seek and save the lost. Luke 19.10, and so that man may have life and may have it abundantly, or more abundantly, John chapter 10 and verse 10. Uh, this is eternal life, he said in John 10 and verse 28, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. If we walk in truth, if we follow truth, uh, we have the promise of salvation as long as we continue to walk in truth. Uh, then truth and obligation. You know, he, Jesus said there was an obligation that comes with the truth that gives life. Then Jesus says unto them that believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Notice that big word there. It should be, there should be more letters there. It should be a larger word. If, to grab our attention. But it's a short little word. It is so important. If, that implies an obligation. If you continue in my word, then and only then will you be my disciples. Then and only then shall you know the truth. And then and only then shall you be made free. And so we've got to abide in Jesus. And we've got to abide in his word. 
It involves obedience to his commandments in all areas of our life each and every day. John 15 and verse 10 says, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. And so with truth, there is an obligation. We have an obligation to truth, to live it and abide by it. Then uh, you might say there's truth in opinion. You know, many people believe false opinions about uh, instead of God's truth, instead of what's found in the Bible. They have looked to creeds and human opinions to lead them in religion. Again, teaching man's doctrine rather than God's doctrines. This is not Bible truth. Only the truth of the gospel has the power to save. You know, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God into salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. No man's opinion from the greatest preacher to have ever lived to the godliest individual you'll ever know will get anyone to heaven. According to Jesus, the only by obedience to the truth of the gospel will any person enter into heaven. Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. Our Lord said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in their ants. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. You know, the word straight there doesn't mean, does not imply a straight line, but it's straight as in difficult. It is narrow. The straight and narrow. We walk according to, to truth. We're walking in that straight and that narrow path. First Thessalonians 5.21 says, Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. We're to test all things. How do we know if something is truth or opinion? You know, we give it the same test that the Bereans gave. You know, when Paul went down to Berea, he left uh, Thessalonica, chased out of town. He comes down to, to Berea. And it says of those in the synagogue there, the Jews that were there, he says that these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Other translations use the word fair-minded. In that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. They wanted to know if Paul was preaching truth or if he was preaching opinion. When they compared the preaching of Paul with the word of God, they saw that it was the truth. That he was preaching truth. And so uh, the word of God is never based upon opinion. Truth is objective. The truth of God's word is objective. Then uh, you might think about truth and sincerity. You know, a person may say, I know I'm going to heaven. I know I'm saved because I'm sincere and I feel it in my heart that I'm saved. I cannot be wrong. You know, Paul felt like this at one time also. Acts 23, 1. And Paul earnestly beholding the council said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. You think about what Paul did in good conscience. He persecuted Christians. He 
carried them into jail. He had them put to death. He held the code of those that murdered Stephen. Paul did all of this out of sincerity. But Paul was wrong. It was not until he obeyed the gospel that his sins were washed away and that he was truly saved. Acts twenty-two sixteen. And now why tarriest thou? Arise, be baptized, wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Here is Paul. He has been on the road. He's on the road to persecute Christians. In all good conscience, he's persecuting Christians. He's on the road. He meets the Lord on the way, and the Lord sends him into, uh, into Damascus, told him to wait there, that someone would come and tell him what he needed to do. He was blinded. He fasted. He was in prayers. This is a penitent man that believed in Jesus. He had seen him with his own eyes. And yet, notice, he was told to be baptized and wash away his sins. You know, uh, I know each of us, most uh, who believe in Christ, most who claim to be Christians are sincere in what they believe. But are they may be sincerely wrong. You know, the man may say, I'm not wrong. Can he prove it by the Bible? And so, uh, can we prove, according to God's truth, that we are saved? You know, when we look at the Bible also, truth can be rejected. You know, Jesus said that many would reject it and would suffer the consequences. John 12, 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The same shall judge him in the last day. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. You know, he promised that these uh, who reject shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so the nature of truth, it is objective. It is not subjective to to. Uh, what we think or what our opinion is. Truth is set forth in God's word. And so what about truth and you? Where do you stand with regards to truth? You know, God has told us, uh, Paul tells us, 1 Timothy 2, 4, that God would have all men to be saved and all to come unto a knowledge of the truth. God's desire is that we know the truth and that the truth will set us free. That's his desire for all men, but we know that there are those that hinder the truth and unrighteousness in Romans chapter 1 verse 18 tells us. And so uh, we read about the Galatians, that who hath hindered you that you obey not the truth. It is not God's desire that man not know, but it's the devil's design uh, that uh, the truth be hindered. You know, in Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, the Bible tells us, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, God overlooked some things, he says, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men that or in that he raised him from the dead. And then finally, uh, we must be baptized, as Paul was. Wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord, Acts 22 and verse 16. 
That is our response to the truth. We believe it. We confess our belief in Christ. We repent of our sins and we are baptized for the remission of our sins. And so we need to understand that truth exists. That truth is absolute. And that truth can be known. The Bible is truth. And obedience to it will set you free. So the question is, have you obeyed the truth of the gospel? Are you saved? And can you prove it by the word of truth? If you're here and you're not a Christian, we urge you today to put on Christ in baptism. If you're here today as one who is a Christian who has not been faithful to the high calling of God, we urge you to repent. This morning, if we can help you to respond to the invitation, let us know as we stand and as we sing.